0: everybody let's see if anybody is brand new to Mapping Ties so if it's the first time you join Mapping Ties you can give us a little clap so then we'll all upload everybody who is joining in so how I can see a few people who are coming in for the first time so double welcome for you um just quickly if, if this is the first time you join Mapping Thai is basically the place where we can have um, the conversation with other internal community builders that we've been waiting for. And we're here to share knowledge, experience, all of our stories of what worked and also what didn't, um, and generally wonder together at the unbelievable power of connecting people in the workplace. So. For all of the ones who are coming back, and I can definitely see a few familiar faces. So this is amazing. It starts feeling like a, you know, um a room full of uh, people that you know. Um so I hope that you're also waiting for the conversations every week, as much as we are. My name is Sophie, for the hands who haven't met me yet. And um, I'm a learning community leader at Beck Hughes, and I'm co hosting this um series with Anna Maria Adolgo. There's a learning and community consultant and founded L&D Shakers, as some of you might know. Hey, everyone, really great to see all the new and familiar faces.
1: I have to mention this, Sophie, because when you said it does feel a bit like, it's like, it feels like a community, doesn't it? <laughs> a community that we're creating already <laughs> by meeting regularly to talk about stuff we're passionate about. Uh, I'm very excited to be here today
0: yes definitely it's uh, it's got that feeling already so this is really exciting so far we've covered the definition and principle of internal communities we've looked at how to get started and then we deep dived into some example of communities that supported innovation transformation and organizational culture so i think we can all agree that we've already covered some ground and just to make sure that we keep a trace of all of these discussions, uh, we record each session. So today will be the same. So thank you to Said, who is in the room and is actually uh, doing, making sure that we can do all this from a technical point of view. And then that means we can publish all this as podcast later, and we can all go back to it. Now you can also use our Padlet to go back to the takeaways from previous uh, events and you'll find the link in the event page. And during the session today, you can also use it to ask questions. So whenever you wanna add you know, your perspective, ask a question, you can also raise your hand. So you, where, in the same space where you use the reactions to answer a question, you've also got a, raise hand button. So anytime, just go ahead. Um, and we'd love to also hear from, from you, uh, for questions or additional uh, ideas as well. Now it's time to jump into our topic for today. And that's actually customer focus now it might not be the first lens or perspective that we think of when we think internal communities right and and actually really picked Anna um, anamaya and, and my curiosity as well when when Jamie first told us about Microsoft connected communities program so a really cool way to learn all about it today with with all of you Jamie is our guest and she runs the program and I'm 100% sure that you will all enjoy learning from her and from her journey into uh, the world of uh, community leading as well. So, Jeremy, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Let's um, start with you actually. And and if you want, you can tell us a little bit more about yourself uh, and how you ended up working in, in communities. Uh, and then in the second step, we'll look at uh, the communities that you actually run.
2: Excellent, well, thank you so much. It's great to be here and thank you for inviting me. My name is Jamie McGaffey. I'm a director with the Connected Communities program inside Microsoft. To get the disclaimer out of the way at the beginning, opinions are my own. Um, I'm not representing any particular official opinion of Microsoft, so I have to put that little legal disclaimer on anything public on that, so that part is done. So I appreciate your patience while I do that. Um, how did I get into communities? So that's kind of a roundabout story. I don't know that a lot of community managers like got into it thinking, I'm going to grow up to be a community manager. Um, I actually have a bachelor's in physics, and I started working in database systems before I graduated. And database systems are what actually got me into Microsoft. So I started Microsoft as a SQL Server consultant many, many, many years ago. And when I started, there was not much of a way of an internal community program at Microsoft. So there was this group called Worldwide Communities. It was mostly for people inside the company who had been designated subject matter experts and kind of air quotes, whatever that means. And it was around creating IP of various types, so creating documents and those types of things. As a new hire coming into the company, the only network I had was the one I managed to cobble together myself um, with basically the people who did my tech interview. I didn't really know anyone else in the company. And the second we got the company, I was at a customer site teaching them a training class that I built on the plane on the way down there on a piece of technology I'd never used before um, with basically no backup and completely on my own. From that experience, which, which was successful, I got through it, but I was just like, something's missing here. So I pulled together a little group of people. It was the North Central District US SQL Server community. There was three of us. Um, two of us were on the consulting side. One was on sales, so technically it was a cross-role community, and we would get together regularly and just share ideas and talk to each other. We could bounce things off of each other. It was it was very very small. Over time, I you know kind of got designated as a SME, and I got into one of those special SME only worldwide communities, and went, "Why doesn't everyone have access to something like this at a company as large as Microsoft? Nobody should be out there alone." At a customer, you know, you get questions on everything under the sun. I I remember when Windows Vista came out, how many people I heard from about that, that customers, you don't want to be in on the receiving end of those questions. I have nothing to do with Windows Vista. So it's always entertaining. Where do you go to get help? Where do you go to get questions? Where do you go to support? How do you keep that sense of belonging to a company when you're embedded at a customer site 40 hours a week? You're never actually around your employees for the most part, other employees. You're rarely around other Microsoft people. Um, How do you keep that connection of sense of self? So I started raising that um, to kind of some senior leadership that I had access to through a mentorship program as a bit of a gap in the company. And eventually they said, well, why don't you go fix that? So we created the U.S. Technical Communities Program. I think we started with seven communities and and kind of built from there. So that's how I ended up getting into communities. Um, There's kind of a large, long history within the company of where the communities have kind of come and gone and where we are today, but we can always talk. So it it was not what um, I was expecting to get into out of college, Uh, but I've been working in the community space for over a decade now, and I would say it's it's wonderful. I really
0: love everything about it, and it can really set you up for a great
2: career in a lot of different places going forward.
0: Yeah, and I think that's true. Um, I don't think anybody that we've talked to has really started and kind of, you know, taken a degree in community building and then an internship and like that kind of straight career path that is available in some Jobs, but there are two things that you've talked about, and that we've noticed throughout is this um, this element of just being passionate about bringing people together and and doing it, and and then also that tipping point in being able to articulate it with senior uh, leaders. So so it it does feel like um, this was um, an important moment. Can you tell us a little bit more about about this and? And the pivot from having your own community to making it a thing? Because that seems really interesting.
2: Um, Yes. So I can't claim a ton of credit for that other than just being pernicious and a little persistent um, and maybe a little naive into what you can and can't do inside a company. Um, When no one tells you you can't do something or you don't know that you can't do something, you do it and then somehow you actually manage to do it. Uh, I, a lot and a lot of luck. So I was very fortunate that I was part of a program which allowed me to have access to some senior executives as a mentor. Um, one of my mentors at the time was the I think he was officially the CTO for the US Services Division. And I just kind of brought this up as as an issue as a gap that I was seeing and, and talked about, you know, how great it's been as somebody who was part of one of those SME communities how much that had been able to help me when I was out supporting customers to help accelerate my career. And why doesn't everyone have access to something like that? Like, why is it limited to just the full SME group? And he he kind of listened to that. I didn't get kind of an immediate response from him directly in any of those conversations. But after a few of them, uh, he took one of his more senior architects and said, you know, create a business plan for me here. So that person helped kind of create a plan for how this might work and what it might look like. And then they basically hired me out internally to run it. So as a consultant at the time, I was a SQL consultant. So I was you. I had to have a certain utilization number with customers. So they call that your UBI around here. And that's the percent of my time that had to be customer billable. And you really can't run a community program if you happen to be a customer all the time for 40 hours a week. So they didn't change my title or anything. What they did is they kind of contracted me back inside the company and they paid my utilization so that I would hit my utilization target and not be penalized for doing this internal work instead. So that that's kind of the roundabout way I got there. Eventually they did find like I turned it into a real full-time role. Um, but for many, many years when I first ran it actually I had to leave the company and, and came back in a few years later when it became an actual like real role. I was going through the consulting ranks and like all my targets were all these customer focused targets but I was doing all this internal work. So that was kind of a, a little bit of an interesting disconnect between the areas, but that's how we got it to work. And sometimes you have to work within the system you got and just figure it out. And that's what we ended up doing. Um, we had so much success with the US technical group that we ended up founding you know, using Canada in Canada and Tam eventually consolidated those into americas at that point we were big enough and doing enough interesting things that the worldwide communities group was kind of like hmm, okay we might have to do something different than we're doing now we kind of became there's a phrase here the tail that wagged the dog a little bit where we're this small kind of obnoxious upstart was in the company <laughs> that was making the larger group look bad um so worldwide communities you know opened up they became way more than a smooth program eventually the programs merged into each other. And so there there aren't the kind of separate like US technical communities things anymore it all kind of blended together. But it was a yeah, a lot of luck, a lot of persistence, um, just having the ear of the right people. And even though I'm sure I didn't build the best business case, I never sat down and put together a business case. I didn't know how to do that at that point. I'd been with the couple like a year and a half. <laughs> I was still very early in my career. But I got was I was lucky enough to have someone who listened to me who saw the same value that I did, even if I didn't articulate it perfectly and was able to take it from there.
0: Great. Thanks for, for sharing this because I'm sure there are other people in the room who are, like you said, like working around a system to to start something that hasn't got a space yet. So it's really reassuring to be like, okay, nah, now not just me. So that works. You talked a little bit about the how it slowly took more and more um momentum and then merge with another existing program. So what is, what is the status today? What does it look like um, in Microsoft and what is Connected Communities in 2023?
2: Yes. Um, So what it looks like today, about three years ago, we went through and did a very intentional reboot of the program. So the worldwide communities program had been growing organically for probably eight, 10 years at that point, if not a little bit longer. There were, I think, just under 100 communities in the program. There was a lot of duplication, some things that were outdated, like the maturity level the communities were all over the board. And it just, it was not clear to the people who were paying for what was our little team at that point, We were officially a team, uh, what they were getting out of it from a value standpoint. We weren't clearly aligned with business. We were struggling to articulate our business impact of the program. So we sat down, we worked with a lot of the executives, we did a lot of workshops to figure out, you know, what could this program be? What are they looking for from us? And out of that, we rebooted into what we now call our Connected Communities program. Battery clear, Connected Communities is one set of communities at Microsoft. We have about 75 communities under our remit. We're specifically designed around cross-row, cross-org, cross-geo communities, so a whole one Microsoft community that's aligned very specifically to customer solution areas um, and customer industries. So if it's not kind of a customer priority within Microsoft, it's just out of our remit. Now there's probably at least 10,000 communities in Microsoft or one piece of it. You You have your employee resource groups, you got lots of communities of interest. You have these super, super detailed technical aliases that get down into the bits and bytes and things. But our space is playing in that area where it's like we're aligned to customer priorities, customer business priorities, and we're one Microsoft. So that also gets us out of the space of like, now if there's say sellers in Australia, that would be outside of our remit. Those are perfectly valid communities and they exist. And those people need those. That's just not where we play. So we rebooted the program. Um, Every one of our communities at this point, um, we don't create a community unless we can clearly show the alignment to the business and the value that it's gonna bring to the business. Um, And by value, I don't mean dollars and cents. We mean that, you know, this is a business priority. Like say it's the financial services industry, big industry for us. Um, You know, there's a lot happening there around special clouds. There's a lot happening around like AI and financial services. Like where are those conversations gonna happen? How do we bring those people together so that they can learn from each other? Sellers can learn from delivery. Everyone can learn from engineering. Engineering can hear what customers are saying back to the sellers and bring all those folks together and build that case to make that community.
0: Great. And like these these numbers are, are pretty impressive because I think you, you mentioned before as well that it's sixty thousand employees across um all of the the communities. So it does touch okay. out a really high number of people. So I've <laughs> I've already got quite a few questions from what you just said. but you did mention briefly uh, working with executives as you know uh, as you brought the the project to life or the reboot to life Um, and this is something that keeps on coming back in our discussions okay how do we work with the stakeholders and particularly management so can you give us a little more details into these workshops meeting discussions what questions did you ask them and what um, how did you structure that conversation um, to get in their buy-in
2: I guess so for the workshops, we actually brought in Microsoft has an adoption and kind of change management part of our organization that works with customers. Um, you know, we have lots of great facilitators inside the company. And so we brought in somebody who we knew was just an amazing, amazing meeting facilitator and executive and brainstorming session facilitator kind of went through what was at that point more of like the immediate reporting chain that we had, and I'll clarify this in a minute, but where we report into is different than our overall stakeholder matrix, but the people who pay the bills are fundamentally the ones that you need to get your first input from. So we started in that area with a few other people. Got got them in a room for two, three days. Um, I say my manager got them in a room for about two, three days. I was not in the room because I lived in the wrong state to be in that room. Um, but I was able to keep track of what was happening remotely a bit while that was going on. So I didn't have great insight into the ins and outs of the conversations. I saw a lot of the outputs of the conversations, but a lot of the time was spent clarifying what we are versus what we aren't. And that ability to say these are the things we are not is super, super important to create an ethereum agreement. In our case, we are not country specific communities we are not org specific communities we are not rural specific communities we are not soccer at Microsoft we are not employee resource groups you know we're not women at Microsoft like this is the things that are going to be out of scope of us and we protect that scope very rigorously as part of that process we got buy-in from management that yes this is the scope we want you to play in we want you to bring the company together we want you focused around these customer business priorities and if you say no to these other groups we're okay with that we have your back with that because we are a very organized community management program um, and we have a fairly we're getting more of a well-known reputation inside the company we have a lot of people people know about us we're getting more of a reputation outside recently as well as part of that we get a lot of people who come to us and be like hey i'd like to put my community into your program and 99% of the time we probably say no to those um so a lot of it was really defining what we are what we aren't and what the business would like us to be and like us to focus on. What we have found, we've been in a number of different organizations. We get moved around a lot inside the company right now. We uh, are in the worldwide learning organization, hoping this is a bit more of a permanent home for us than where we've been before. We have never had an executive chain that's been like thou shalt. Like no one in our leadership chain has ever wanted to come down from the beginning and said, this is what your program should be. They'll get their ideas, but they're not community experts. You know they're running their parts of the business they don't really want to be super hands-on they're looking for us to tell them what value we can bring and to make that case up to them and tell them hey this is what we're going to do like we might bounce some ideas off them or if we need input for the most part we're setting our own destiny you know as long as we can show that we're aligned to the business people seem to be fairly happy which is good but yeah it's it's, it's been interesting and, and we've always been an area where the people who are basically paying our bills um, is a part of the organization that is smaller than the group we serve. So that's an interesting dynamic as well. And, and the example of that, you know, we started out in the services part of the organization, a uh, services delivery part of the organization specifically, and that's gonna be your consultants who are out there working with Microsoft. But we have a one Microsoft agreement. We have engineers, we have salespeople, you know, we have marketing folks in there. We, we have everyone who say, interested in AI machine learning, in our AI and machine learning community, regardless of where they're from, but the people paying the bills care about like kind of what's happening with this one slice of the community that are directly within their org. So we've always had to kind of build that case of why does it help those people to be connected to the larger part of the company? And that case is pretty easy to build, you know, and you kind of put it that way. It's like, do you want your people in a silo or do you want them hearing what's happening everywhere across the company and understand what's happening across the company? And they're like, we want people understanding what's happening across the company. You're like, great. awesome. Let's have a community program dream bring them together because there's no place else to do it. But we've always had to make that case. And every time we move orgs, we kind of have to make that case in there. It's like, why are we a one Microsoft program? And this is where I'd say kind of our executive leadership is a little bit different than our stakeholders because that executive leadership or stakeholders, that slice of it, that is our except org chain. You're having one conversation with that group because a lot of times you do have to show what's the benefit for the slice of the community that belongs to that org. Um, in this case where we're at right now, they're very interested in sellers. And so we kind of like, where can we take our data and say, here's what we're seeing on the seller lens of this. And then here's kind of the overall thing. It's Like they want that breakdown in there, but then in any one of our communities, the stakeholders who might be interested in it are from all over the company. So as an example, who in Microsoft is not interested in AI and machine learning right now, uh, I can say pretty much nobody we're all very interested in AI machine learning. So when you look at an individual community like that, you're like, okay, you know, how do we balance what engineering wants to focus on versus what sales wants to focus on versus what, you know, delivery needs to focus on, like how do we get people ramped up on co-pilot and even just into the basics, what is, you know, what is AI, what is uh, machine learning, what does it mean to do gravity, like all those types of things. So the community, that one's up to, I think, about 15,000 members in that community. And putting together a stakeholder matrix for it is very complicated because everybody in the company, like every executive has a stake somewhere in AI and ML. So that's one of the ones where it doesn't have like official executive sponsorship, but one of the community leads from it, like he's chain, but uh, he works in kind of that AI space. And so they're, they're very invested in it, uh, but not like officially sponsored. So we have this interesting dynamic where it's, there's the people who paid bills and then there's the people who are interested
0: in that. Thanks. I, I feel like this was a bit of a, a masterclass of uh, stakeholder management for, for communities. And, um, Oh my God, you yes. lost <laughs> yeah. really Yeah, that.
2: it. Yeah. And it, it's, it's uh, we're actually bringing in, um, a vendor who hopefully is starting very soon to help us with stakeholder management because our stakeholder matrix is just so complex. And our team, a lot of you have sure heard, Microsoft laid off a bunch of people in January, the couple laid off about 10,000 people. Um, over the course of the last few months, our team got hit really hard in that. We lost by 80% of our team. And so right now we're seriously understaffed to run the program that we're running and keeping track of that type of stakeholder matrix is impossible to do with the stuff we had left. Um, that we've moved organizations. We're in a new fiscal, some budgets coming back. So we're actually going to bring in a vendor who's focusing specifically on stakeholder management, cause it's just that complex.
0: Yeah, and um, it's um it's amazing, and I, I took lots of notes of what you were saying because um I think um in terms of stakeholder management, it's definitely also a priority for myself and for our team. And next year is is to be much more rigorous and and um, structured around this. So I love this. Um, really like as well to look at what we are not, which is uh, really useful to then create the, this trust with them. So as you, you talked around uh, the success of your program, you mentioned you have to say no to to a lot of uh, new community projects. So how do they usually start? Like who in the company might have the idea and how do they find out, reach out and, and how do you review
2: proposals? Excellent questions. Um, they can come from anywhere and they absolutely have come from anywhere. <clears throat> a lot of times what we do, particularly around fiscal changes, is we look at all the business strategies that are coming out across pretty much the entire company um, and look to see, okay, with the new focus for the business with the fiscal and around the fiscal half, um, do we have any gaps in our program? And if we can identify a gap, that's going to be probably the surest way that we're creating a new community, assuming we have the staff to support that community. So first off, they can come from us if we identify a gap. Uh, second, uh, we have an intake kind of request form that anybody can put in your request. Often what it is is it's people who are kind of like ad hoc running a community that already exists who hear about our program. Like they know we have recording, we have infrastructure, you know, we have community program managers. We have a lot of support and a lot of, we have run books. Like a lot of things are built around this program. They want access to that stuff. So they're like, hey, how do I become part of your program? And we'll get our intake request on it. Normally what we do when we look through those Every once in a while, those do identify a legitimate gap. Um, It's rare, but every once in a while they do. Normally, they're looking for something that's outside of our remit. And we just have to explain to that person where it's like, I'm sorry, your community just doesn't fit our remit. But we have a lot of materials available to help them successfully launch it on their own, just outside of our program. So we have kind of some community in the box stuff that can help people think through, like, what are you trying to accomplish in this community? Like, what's your strategy? Have you thought about what platform you want to run on? Like, where are your people? Like, what are you going to be doing? Who's helping you run it? And a lot of these decisions people generally don't think through, we have a lot of material available to them, and we'll share our runbook as well with the community to help people get successfully launched. Um, I've done phone calls with a lot of different groups within Microsoft, just sharing what we've learned and also learning from other people as to what's working and not from them. Because we don't want to say you can't have this community. It's just not a community our, our program's gonna run. It's just not of scope for us. So we want it to be successful. So we do share that. A lot of the times, if it is something that is within our remit, it can normally be handled by a topic in one of our existing communities. In order, to, and we already have 75, we have a lot of communities in our program as is, but they're very clearly aligned to customer business priorities, priority industries, and certain kind of what we call cross-functional or kind of halo communities that are needed to support all that, like adoption and change management, leadership and implement, some of those things. And that normally we, we try to keep them big enough that they're fairly resilient to change. Like we don't name communities after products because products change too much. We look for that broader concept. And because of that, generally when someone comes with something that would fall into our remit we're able to fit it into a topic in an existing community. You know, we might get that person involved in that community's leadership team. Uh, you know, We'll introduce them in. Maybe they decide they want to run a series on it, or they just kind of want to own answering questions on the topic, whatever it happens to be. Every once in a while, we do find that we have an actual gap. Right now, we've kind of been on a freeze for filling those gaps because we are a little understaffed at the moment, and it takes a lot to launch a new community successfully. That can just take a lot of time and energy to get them up and running. Once they're up and running, you know, they're, they're kind of good on their own for a while with that side. And so, but when we're not, you know, we look at that things, what's the business priority, do we think the target audience of this is large enough to be worth our time, frankly, you know, we're generally looking for a community with a target audience that's going to be at least maybe a thousand people in the company, which for a company as large as Microsoft is not that big. (laughs) It sounds like a lot, but we have a couple hundred thousand people in the company, so. Could you potentially get a thousand in here? You know, we kind of do a little digging to see, you know, is this something that's already handled by another community program? You know, are there other communities out there that already exist that maybe we could just merge in to our program as opposed to building something from scratch? So we do a lot of investigating. Uh, we have an advisory board we take it to. And then generally, if we're going to do a brand new community, if we just want to verify, is this a gap? Is this legitimate? Is this something that's a business priority? We'll try to identify the business stakeholders that are most aligned to that area and reach out to them and just to validate what we're thinking on that. Again, nobody is telling us we have to do it. We're not asking for permission to create a community, but we don't want to create a lot of community spread and churn. Uh, We want to keep the list pretty tight and make it easy for people to figure out where to go and avoid duplication. So we always do our best to try to validate, you know, do we have an actual gap here before we go about filling it?
0: Well, yeah, this is really interesting because just last week, we had a discussion with Michelle uh, Farrell, who was talking about the communities they are building inside our organization. And she was talking exactly about this, how to manage the duplication. So I think there are quite a few answers into what you've just gone through. How does the visibility uh, piece work? So let's say I'm a new employee at Microsoft, so I'm one of 100,000. How do I um, find out the right community for me?
2: Yeah, that's something that we've been involved in what we kind of call generically that new kind of employee orientation for a while now, Um, a little bit on the passively side where it's like kind of as part of that new employee, that orientation they go through, there'll be a slide up about the Connected Communities program, we're 100% opt in, we don't force anyone to be there and we don't auto enroll people. So it is kind of letting people know this program exists, here's why you might want to get involved. Here's a link to our homepage where you can find all the different communities if, if you're struggling, here's a place you can reach out to us. In the group of the kind of the MCAP side of Microsoft, which is the field site, that's the organization we sit in. They recently started a, a really robust hands-on new employee orientation that they call MCAPs Academy on that side. And we're very involved in that. So we're at their events, you know, we're working on booth, we're helping people understand the programs there. And as we've been recently moved into our worldwide learning organization inside of MCAPs, with that side, we're integrating more with like formal learning. So some of the discussions we're having right now, we're not fully there yet, but where we're wanting to head is having things like somebody looks up training on, say, I want to know more about let's say, AI. And it'll be like, hey, you know, you do a little AI course, a little 20 minute training, whatever. Keep that conversation going by joining this community and pointing to our AI and ML connected community. So helping people discover things that way. That's some of the work that we want to do. Um, A lot of our growth, honestly, has been organic. So as part of our reboot, three years ago, we changed platforms, we moved to Viva Engage. Before we were running an email, which is not very discoverable, you have to know they exist in order to find them. And there's so many email aliases out there, it's a little ridiculous. And Viva Engage discoverability is huge. Um, I mean, this program has been around 10, 12 years, Now at this point and since we lived engaged, we grew 50%. So we were about forty thousand members when we moved. And over the last, you know, two and a half years or so, we're up to about sixty thousand members now. And that's been almost hundred percent organic. With some of the changes that happened, with the decrease in our team size, you know, when we first rebooted the program, we were focused on landing and driving that adoption. We changed everything about the program. (laughs) I can say like we didn't do the smart thing and change one thing at a time. We changed everything. We changed the communities. We had rituals, the alignment. We changed how we organize our volunteers. We changed our platform. Like, we're like, let's just change it all while we're in there. Probably not the best way to do change, but that's what we did. So that first year it was just kind of landing that change, getting everyone over there. The second year, stabilizing, you know, driving that usage among the member base that we had just migrated over to this whole new platform that we had to teach and how to use, um, you know, dealing with all of that. And then, you know, you get into year three, and we take major staffing losses. So this generally would be the year we'd be focused more on growth and marketing, but we just can't right now with the staff that we have. So it has been very organic. It's been very word of mouth where we can, because we're in a learning organization, we try to integrate into those new employee experiences, but we fundamentally very passionately believe in an opt-in program, Um, not even an opt-out program, an opt-in program. We don't wanna force anyone to be there who doesn't wanna be there. So that can make it a little more difficult to bring new people in, They have a lot of choices to make and figure out the right one. It would probably be easier if we just said, Hey, you work in this space. We're going to stick you here. And then if you don't like it, leave. But just philosophically, we were rebooting the program. That's why the decisions we made is we did really want this to be a place people choose to be, not a place we make them be.
0: Definitely. And and I think that uh, could always be one of our definitions of internal community, a place where people choose to be because it really summarizes it well. And um, so we, as we're just over already half of our event, and I'd love to go now and look into the inside of, of all of these communities. And because it's, um, I think very unique, this approach of doing in per customer focus, uh, it'd be really interesting to learn more about what do the members actually focus on in the communities and how does it link with you know external outcomes, the customers for the business
2: within the communities and it can vary a little bit by community so for example an industry community is probably going to be more of your delivery sales people that community that's based more around a technical solution area like modern work you're going to have more delivery sales and engineering tie-in that's going in there where we really focus is what we could call learning communities or knowledge social sharing communities so we're officially falling to that community of practice a bucket and so we're focused on connecting minds it's that social side of formal learning what's happening what are other people working on um, as a delivery person how can I under better understand what a seller in this space needs as a seller how can I better understand what engineering is up to um, you know, so helping people understand where other people are coming from in these different roles because we tend to in any large organization you have silos. So how do we break down those silos around the space and get people talking? Um, around the beginning of fiscal, there's a lot of work around the new business strategies that come out. You know, every fiscal there's new business strategies. How do we help make sure that, say, the people in the financial services industry community understand where Microsoft is going from a financial services standpoint, what the big plays are going to be? Um, and the areas we're heading, you know, what clouds are coming out. And so there's a lot of work that happens around that. There's a lot of bringing people in who maybe just had a super successful implementation at a customer to come talk about what they did. Um, you know, some places do these kind of almost like a reverse chop top where, you know, engineering might come in and they'll bring some people in from the field to talk about, hey, here's what I'm hearing from my customers. Because sometimes your engineering product managers, you know, they have a huge priority backlog and they need some input. And so what here really is a priority with customers. And so for some things, they can come to us for that. I said it varies by community because of the way we're organized. And right now we have a team of four and 75 communities, but we have about 1,200 volunteers that actually run these communities. So we like to say we provide an enabling framework for these people. And then each community really is determined its own future. There's certain things we want them to do at a bare minimum. We want at least one type of live event every month. Being able to connect in real time is vitally important to people actually feeling like they're part of something, like these types of events. Um, It doesn't have to be a top-down presentation. Sometimes it's a round table, you know, sometimes the session is repeated a couple of times in order to make up for time zones or it's moved around, but some type of live event every month. We also wanna make sure when people are reaching out on the community forums, they're getting some type of response. So that's the other big thing that we look at for our community leads to be doing they don't have to know the answer but at the least they could tag in one of their subject matter experts or reach out to their network or at least acknowledge like hey that's a good question what you'll generally find it can take what we have found is it can take a while for people to make that first post in a community particularly when you have a community of thousands it's big you're putting yourself out there in front of a lot of people if you get crickets back on that post you're probably not going to do it again But if somebody at least tries to help you, even if they don't have the answer, you're probably gonna give it another shot Um, and and appreciate that community a little bit more. So the two big things we really, really focus on is gonna be your response rate. It's gonna be having some type of live interaction. And then within that, each community can figure out its own future. Like what's gonna work for that community and those members, the volunteers in charge of that community are really figuring out the pattern. Some do podcasts. Um, We have at least one that I think does about two sessions. Every week, they focus on leadership enablement and so they're bringing in external speakers uh we have a couple who have set up some linkedin groups where they actually have connection between their community and external folks which is really out of scope for us but it's something that works for them and so as long as they don't share what they're not supposed to we're fine with it um, you know every community figure some are really really involved in putting together internal events and conferences and so it really just depends on what that community wants to do and what they're passionate about as long as what they're doing was aligned to what the business needs you know we're happy. So the, the answer really is, is kind of it depends. Every community is a little bit different, but those are the things that we try to focus on. Not sure I completely answered that question. Did I catch that one?
0: And um, yeah, I think I think you covered uh, the internal uh, dynamics and then some example as well of how the communities will impact externally. So we 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 covered this. And um, if we go into like the the weeds of and the detail of one story. Um do you have one story that comes to mind where a community has really impacted the customer let's say or it's it's really changed the way that Microsoft delivers a service uh, is there a story that comes to mind uh, I
2: might have to think about that one a little bit that is one disadvantage of the way that we're set up is we're not involved too much in the day to day of the community um so a lot of the things they don't always get surfaced to us we send out surveys twice a year one of those is a place where it's like hey what's working for you We just closed that and we haven't gone through the verbatim comments yet to see what some of the newest stuff is. Um, I know some of the things we've heard in previous surveys from people are things like, you know, allowing the communities giving a place where they can develop themselves as a leader, um, a place where they felt more connected into the company. As we've been going through what has been a massive and very disruptive organization change inside Microsoft, the communities have been a place of stability for people and a place for people whose networks, um, frankly, got laid off and scattered to build a new network. So those are some of the things we've been hearing more lately is around that, you know, a place to connect other people, a place where they can get more done, even though they maybe have lost a lot of their own network in those layoffs, they can build a new one. But a lot of those specific stories, we, we tend to hear it more generically in the survey feedback. So we are doing some work right now with the other folks on my team to try to pull some of those stories forward and do some videos and things. Um, but I haven't dug through the verbatims yet to have anything that's super top of mind, that's like a very specific example.
0: Okay. No, no worries. It just means that we, we'll have to have another conversation once once you have them. So we actually have a lot of questions that are coming in, um, in the Padlet. Well, nice. very, uh, so, but today, yeah, so it's great. And, and one thing, you did mention uh, 1,200 volunteers who are uh, involved uh, in uh, in volunteering, running the communities. So how do you recognize these people within Microsoft?
2: Yes. Um, I, I love our volunteers. Honestly, I do. Um, When I actually left Microsoft, I went to go get um, working on my master's in industrial and organizational psychology because I just really want to understand why people who are as busy as Microsoft employees continue to even give more back to their peers through volunteering. It absolutely fascinates me as to what we can do with these folks. For the volunteers, because they really are putting the most into it, we do a couple of different things. Um, Probably the, the one that's the easiest lift, but people love them, badges. So we have these badges as a third party vendor called Credly. They can be shared on LinkedIn. Like you could like a Microsoft certification credential, you can share them on Twitter, You can put them in your email signature. And so every year someone is in one of our volunteer positions, say they're a community lead, they get a community lead badge for that year. So people kind of stack them up. And we've had some people who have been in a lead position for, you know, seven years and they have the little stack of badges for every year. And they, they just, they love these badges. They're inexpensive. It's a very easy thing to do. Something that takes a lot more coordination for us is heading into the last quarter of the fiscal is when all the people discussions happen within Microsoft. And an area a lot of our volunteers struggle with is how do I articulate the impact of what it is I'm doing here to my manager. I'm spending time here. This is something that's different than my you know key performance indicators. <laughs> it's not an OKR for the company. How do, how do I explain this? And so we have things that people can do to help write up that impact. Um, We can point them to there's some resource mentoring folks within Microsoft who can help with that. But we also organize um, thank you emails that go out to them. Uh, We try to get the highest level executive we can, which we've been every year, getting a little bit higher. I am keeping my fingers crossed as to who we can get it to do this year, to send thank you emails out that include the person's manager that talk a bit about their contribution. We do that directly individually for all of our leads, which is about 220 people. And those emails are are customized. We start with a template, but we break them up between us community program managers and we put something custom in each and every one of those. We look through the data, we talk about what that community did, how many events it had, how many people are at like conversations, response rates, whatever data we can get for that community, we'll put in there. Um, If we know of something particular that lead did that's really above and beyond, like one of them gets really involved with this, that machine learning conference that's involved, you know, we'll put some stuff in there. Those are highly customized. That takes a really long time for the remaining about a thousand people. Those are engagement leads or sneeze. We encourage our community leads to do that exact same thing for them. And then we also do a mass email that comes from a senior level executive saying thank you to those people that has all their managers CC'd on it. And so it's a way we can kind of increase their visibility. What we hear when we ask people about feedback is that visibility of what they're doing in management and why it's important is really top of mind for them because then that feeds into their people discussions where it's like, okay, you know, it's them and say another consultant, they have the same utilization numbers, where are they going to differentiate themselves? Well, what are you doing to help other people within the company? You know, that's a core thing that we're measured on is how do we help others and how do we build off the work of others? And that is community. So that allows us to take that community and put it inside, you know, it's not directly in like you have to have it as a core priority, but you can talk about it in terms around how have I supported my other peers within Microsoft um, and how they helped develop my own career, how they built off the ideas of other people I went through the community and put that into that performance discussion. So that's been a really big one. The thing that we have been struggling with a little bit, we can do that with our volunteers, but when it comes to managing members, we're kind of hit a little bit of a catch-22 because a lot of our members are in countries with GDPR compliance rules and we can't pull any data on them. And we don't wanna leave them out of a recognition program either just because we can't pull data. So we've been a little bit caught up on how do we fairly recognize members without leaving out like six or seven countries in the EU entirely if those people are contributing. And that's, that's one we're still trying.
0: Thank you for all all the details. I love how practical that was, and um and also it's really timely because literally at least in our team that's something that we're looking at at the moment. How, how can we include this in people's end of year discussion and support them? So they remember what they did back in February, etc. Um, so I love the the idea of the the emails we probably also use some of it. Yeah, and we also um create language that at the beginning of the year.
2: For each of our volunteer roles, um, we have language that they can choose to add into their core priorities if they want to. So that's a decision up to them and up to their manager if they want to put it kind of officially to, we call it Connect, that's what our system is called. If they officially want to put a community-based thing into their Connect and then you know have that as part of their discussions going forward, we provide that language to make it easy for them to do, but we don't force it.
0: Great, so that they can totally include it in their development um, cycle uh, across the year. Yeah, this is amazing, really helpful. So we also had um, some questions uh, around the tools and the platforms that are used by the community. And obviously you mentioned Viva Engage. Um, So can you tell us a a little bit more about maybe how it's used and, and the support that you give to the communities for
2: the tool? Uh, yes, for sure. Um so we switched to Viva Engage uh, off of email going on, oh, I think we're heading to about year three on that change. Um, Viva Engage used to be called Yammer, and people might know that name. It rebranded recently, but it's all the same thing. So if you heard one or the other, same product, new brand, my cool new features too. The community itself runs in Viva Engage, so when it comes to a system um, that I have to take a step back on something. When we are deciding platforms, we only looked at Microsoft's first party because we want to use our own tools and make them better. So <laughs> that said, when we look at the platform options within Microsoft, you have Microsoft Teams, you have email, um, you maybe kind of have Stack Overflow. We own that a little bit, and you have Viva Engage. So within those options or Viva Engage when you're looking for discoverability, these broad conversations, it's really the place to be. It has those forum features, it has voting, it has, you know, QA templates, it has a lot of tools that you would expect to have in a community system that you don't have an email and you really don't have a Microsoft Teams either. So for the community itself, that's the best place to run. The events that people do, for the most part, run in Microsoft Teams meetings. Viva Engage does have a meeting platform, but it's built very much around a one-way-down type of conversation. It's great for, like, formal presentations, and sometimes that's what you need, but it's not good for a two-way conversation because people can't unmute. You know, and and the chat's not really like a live stream chat. It's like a Q and A thing that's managed. And most of our communities, you want people to be able to ask questions, to raise their hand, you know, to come off mute if they want. Um, and those options just aren't there. So for the events, most of them are using Teams. We also use Microsoft Teams to organize ourselves. So you know, that's where work gets done is what you can think of. Even Gage is where the community talks. Teams is where work gets done to actually run these communities. And then we're also, I mean we we have access we use everything we can get our hands on, honestly. We're kind of an all modern work solution here. Um, there we have a SharePoint hub for our program with Viva Engage. Every community has a SharePoint site that comes with it. Those are connected to the hub so that you have kind of this consolidated search. Um, you know, a lot of ins and outs. If we can get our hands on it, we use it. We use Power BI, which I think is now part of Microsoft Fabric, like <laughs> just absolutely everything. Bring it to us, we'll find a way to use it. Um, And with that area, what we do from a support standpoint is the advantage of being on Microsoft first-party products is a lot of our support. We just call the help desk if we need help. Um, One of the things that we offer community leads is when something is going wrong, we take care of that support for them, assuming we can reproduce the problem. So they can come to us. We can try to repo it. We can repro it. We open the help desk ticket. We hunt that down. We get it fixed so they don't have to spend their time on it. We also have a very fairly in-depth run book. That's in just one note knows where that thing's hanging out that has information on how to do a lot of basic stuff on the platform, like how do you use some of these features and then where we have new community leads that onboard, um, we have meetings with them. We do two of these sessions every month and we'll run them through the basics of the platform as well um, they might've used it as a user, but there's administrative features that they might not know about. And so we show them those things. So yeah, platform all the above, but the communities themselves run on Viva Engage.
0: Amazing! Thanks for, for all all uh, the details. I, I like the the mix as well of handbook and that, and then the meetings to to t- take people through the tools. So it really takes away the the tool being an obstacle into getting people to actually connect.
2: And it is. And for our members, I mean, after we migrated, we did a month long had a four-part training series on using Viva Engage, even going down to the real basics. I mean, like, everyone here has a lot of email habits they had to break. One of those habits is you do not reply all to a 15,000 email to give, like, a thumbs up or a, hey, great question, or love well, little thanks or put an emoji up. You don't do that. Um, in forums, you do that, you want people to do that. You want them to a thumbs up and heart and put their crazy emojis in there and just respond with a great question. And so you kind of have to unkeep some habits. So what we had to do some even just really, really basic training on being engaged with our members too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And actually, while we're on the topic of supporting um, the members, how does the launch look like? So that was another question from Padlet as well. So once uh, a community is launched within your program, what is the process? Uh, Yes, so
2: once we decide we're going to build a community, um, it can be a little bit before we launch it. So one of the first things we put together is who's gonna be the leadership team for that community. Often the person who has asked for the community will be part of that leadership team, but no community, as much as we can prevent it, runs alone for very long one of the things that we have found is the community will care about whatever the person running it cares about so if you want a community to truly be cross geo to be cross role, to be cross org you can't have one salesperson in the u.s running it because they're going to care about sales in the u.s within their org and that's what the community is going to focus on so you have to find people who represent these different target audiences and get them into a leadership team normally we have three to five leads those are the people creating the strategy co-creating the strategy for that community and they might recruit what we call our engagement leads and students who help actually execute and run that and we want that to be a good mix and so that's really step number one and that can be the longest part is finding the right people to sit down and do that and then working with them to figure out at least in the kind of a three-month window like what's your strategy for this community like what what's its mission what's its vision like, what are your goals for whatever's left of the fiscal when we launch it? Like, what is it you're trying to do? How are you going to break that down? Um, and a lot of that is coaching them on filtering that down. People want to boil the ocean. We'll have like 10 goals. It's like, no, take like two, start there and go from there. And then once we're ready to launch, like we have our goals, we have our leadership team. You know, we've identified our target audiences as part of that. And so we'll do some initial marketing um, kind of out to your very specific audience groups of saying, hey, we there's new communities here. We'd love to invite you. And then we also have a Viva Engage group that is every community member in our program that we keep pulled in there so we can do all member communications and we'll put it out there as well to get it very broadly to help them launch. From there, it's really on the community leads with a lot of coaching and mentoring and just kind of keeping an eye on it from our team to keep that community running. So we check in with them regularly, um, but once they're up and running, it's on them to keep that momentum going and where they need help, we help. So help might be... You know, someone on the leadership team who was in charge of something vital, got busy or something happened and we need help recruiting somebody new to fill that spot. Um, It might be that things have gone quiet for a while and they really just need someone to kind of ping them and check up with them regularly and get them back on track. You know, kind of that polite nudging. (laughs) like you haven't done a meeting in a while, when are you gonna get that back on the calendar Um, and and go from there? So a lot of it we find was in the setup. You have the right leadership team, you have a good strategy, you have a couple of goals to get them started. That's enough to help them launch, maybe handhold for a little bit while they're getting used to things, and then you back off. Um, and you're really there to coach and mentor and just kind of make sure it's going to be successful.
0: Amazing. So we already have only a couple of minutes left, actually. Ooh, you went to help ask. I think um, we can go in a th- um, lightning round, um, and that's okay. a question uh, around, actually, us as practitioner. So let's go with this. How? Um, what is your top tip for somebody who is looking to work as a community builder to share with us all?
2: Um, let's see. I think my top tip for anyone wanting to get into community building um, is to just recognize the potential of the role. So a lot of people, it's like, well, you work in communities. And it's like, well, what does that mean? And, and maybe you think it's a little bit limited. But as a community manager, I mean, you are leading others without a lot of authority so influence without authority is going to be a big area there you're motivating people you're going to have to collaborate across homes you're probably collaborating across countries you're dealing with cross-cultural issues you're doing program management you're doing project management you might even be doing product management depending on if you have any custom dev going on you're coaching you're mentoring you're probably learning infrastructure you're doing marketing and communications like you are doing so many different roles as a community manager that you were building skills in so many different places so my top tip for somebody who's looking getting community management is to think very creatively about the role You know, when you think about how you want to build your career and where you might want to go next there's probably something you can maybe focus on a little bit more than other areas within community management and build those skills inside of the community management mold to launch you into your next career as well or to stay community management. I mean, it is a, it maybe you know, 10 years ago, this probably wasn't the case. but Now it is the case where this is a career that you can have and it's a place where you can build a career um, very successfully, both inside and outside of the company. So my top tip would be think creatively about the role. Um, you know, community managers aren't just community managers. We're kind of a little bit of everything.
0: <laughs> yes, definitely feels like this most <laughs> nice. Um. So anna Maya, you've definitely shared some along the seri- series, but uh, one of your tips it's all people on looking to pick on community so that it does. Did I share this one last time? I don't know. If you've heard this one
1: before, then I've shared it. And if you haven't, then I have not. Um, I'll just share how i how I've built a community of practice for internal train to trainers program that we had. And I didn't even call it a community. And no one knew that it was a community, but that's what it actually was. I just call that a social element to our train-the-trainer program. So my top tip is if you do not have a formal role inside the company of a community builder or learning facilitator or anything that goes into this social pe- learning element to it, I always tell people to Trojan horse it. or I had someone told me in a podcast, you have to Trojan mice it. like do something really small. Don't call it a community. And just include it, attach it to a learning program that you normally have the buy in for. And it's very easy to do around leadership programs, around train the trainer programs, basically anywhere where you bring folks together around a certain role or set of skills, ideally for a longer period of time. That's where you can Mice, a community project. And, and once you've done that, like the feedback, the stories, the impact, see what folks are saying and surface that as much as you can with all of the possible stakeholders involved to kind of get them aware of the possibilities and the results that such projects have the potential to bring if done properly. That's all I have today. What about you, Sophie?
0: Yeah. so my one for today is um, never to stop at one sponsor. Uh, so I think we've seen lots of times where communities projects start and they're supported by a certain person in an executive leadership position uh, and then this person moves away. So actually always keep on building. So be like a serial networker and talk about the communities all the time and gain sponsors along the way. That's the only way to really ensure sustainability um, as you as you build the project. So that would be my top tip for today. And actually that brings us to to the end of the event. Um, So thank you so much, Jamie. And this was really great uh, to learn more about such an established program as well at Microsoft. So thank you for taking the time to share all of your knowledge. And um, I will say goodbye to everybody. Keep on working on the communities and keep having fun with them. Thank you for inviting me. This has been a lot of fun. Have a great day all. Thank you, bye-bye.